Chapter 29 through chapter 30 and into uh, uh, even into 31 is the account of Jacob with Laban, his uncle, but also the beginning of his family. And you have the, uh, first of all, the relationship that Jacob has with Laban, who is his uncle. And remember, why is Jacob here? He had to flee. He is fleeing from Esau, remember? Because of the deceptive nature of of what had happened in the previous chapter when he uh, pretended that he was Esau and stole that blessing from, from his father. So he is, he is on the run. He now goes, at the instruction of his mother, back to his family, that is his extended family, and with Laban. We had met Laban a number of chapters earlier that I hope you remember. So he's, Laban, this is, this is an important chapter because God is going to use Laban to discipline Jacob. You think Jacob is deceptive and conniving? You haven't met anyone who's deceptive and conniving until you meet Laban. And so in a very real sense, he meets his match here. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. So we start in verse 1 of chapter 29. Laban is his uncle? His uncle. Mm -hmm. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east, and he looked up and he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and all the flocks were gathered. The shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well, water their sheep put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Now, there's a lot of detail there in the narrative, but it's just explaining to us that Jacob is at a place where there's a well, which is a symbol of blessing, adequate supply of water to nurture all the animals, in this case, particularly sheep. In verse 4, Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? We're from Haran. Now, I don't know if you remember that, but that's the important city that is connected with Abraham, all the way back to chapter 12. So now he knows he's home. He knows he's where he needs to be. He said, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? We know him. He said to them, it is well with him? And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Now, when you first read it, you get the sense that, oh, this is a coincidence. But it's not a coincidence. The providence of God is all over this thing. So Rachel shows up to water, give nurture to the sheep. And he said, behold, it is still a high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep, go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and stones rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near, rolled a stone from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, that he was Rebekah's son. She ran and told her father. Now, what is going on here? Um, this is the greeting of a family. 
member, not necessarily of a lover. Now, because we know how the story's going to end, this is the story of a lover greeting his future wife, but this is a family greeting at first. And so Laban, verse 13, heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son. He ran to meet him, embraced him, kissed him, brought him to the house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said, Surely you are bone of my bone, and he stayed with him for a month. Well, he's going to be with him a lot longer than a month. But the original purpose of, of Jacob going to Haran is now met. He sees Laban, he sees the family, introduced to him by Rebekah. Then Laban said, because you are my kinsman, verse 15, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? So Jacob is making a commitment to stay with Laban, stay with the family, work for the family, but he's not going to work for free. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17 Leah's eyes were weak. It's a very difficult word to translate. Is that a comment about her looks, or is it a comment about her eyesight? It's very difficult to know exactly how we should understand that. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So there's a contrast between Leah and Rachel. Point. Rachel's much more attractive than Leah. Whatever that means, whether her eyesight, it's very difficult to know, but it's a comment between the contrast between Rachel, who's beautiful, her appearance, her form, she's attractive, he's drawn to her, not Leah. And so verse 17, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So this is the agreement. I will serve you, Laban, for the hand of your daughter, Rachel, in marriage. Now remember, this is the ancient Near Eastern world. In the ancient Near Eastern world, if you have an older daughter and a younger daughter, what's your goal? Get the, Get the older daughter married off. Because with the older daughter married off, there's a dowry, there's financial implications for that, then you take care of the younger. So Jacob's not thinking that way, but Laban is. So Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Now that's a bit of hyperbole, but point, those seven years went quickly. Because Jacob had one goal in mind. I am going to marry Rachel. So the seven years are up. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Parenthesis. Most of your translations should have verse 24 in parenthesis. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. That's an important piece of information we'll need because she's going to come up again. Close parenthesis. Verse 25. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. What's that? 
Yes, so does mine. So does mine. So, I mean, can you imagine poor Jacob, uh, if you can have sympathy for Jacob at this point in his life, but poor Jacob, he goes to bed with this woman. He's convinced that it's Rachel. He wakes up and it's Leah, the one who, in contrast to Rachel, isn't as pretty, isn't as least beautiful. It's ruined for her. Jacob had weak guys. Yeah. They didn't have electric lights. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just a, it's, it's really a very fascinating development. But the conniver has been out-connived. The deceptor has been out-deceived. So I, wanted, I want you to look with me in the verses that follow, 26 and 27 and 28. They're very important words. Jacob said to, La- to Laban, I'm in verse 25. What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? He has been deceived, whereas he, that is Jacob, had been the deceiver. Right? He had deceived Isaac, his father. He had deceived Esau, his brother. Now, God is turning the tables. God is using Uncle Laban to discipline him. Continuing, verse 26. Is not, Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Second key term. Who is the firstborn in Jacob's family? Esau was. But he turns it. God is turning the tables again on Esau. I mean, excuse me, on, on, on Jacob. Verse 27, complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. <clears throat> Jacob did so and completed her week. Now, what, what does this mean? Uh, look, Jacob, I have the whole family together here. This massive feast is occurring. Take Leah, complete the week of ceremony, take her as your wife, and then serve another seven years and I'll give you a ritual. So Jacob agrees to it. Completes the week of the feast. Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Another parenthesis. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So there are going to be four women involved here. Leah, and her servant, Zilpah, Rachel, and her servant, Bilna. Keep all four of those names in mind because they're all going to give children to Jacob. So Jacob got uh, Rachel right after that first week, and then he had to make payments for another seven years. He had to serve another seven years to finalize the arrangement with Laban. Verse 30, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So he goes in. What it means is he has sexual relations with Rachel too. So now he has two wives, but in order to finalize the commitment for Rachel, he has to serve Laban for another seven years. That's important because what's going to happen is while Laban, excuse me, while Jacob is with Laban, serving him for the seven years, most of his children are going to be born. 
And that's what the rest of chapter uh, 29 and chapter 3 is going to tell us. It's going to be the record of all these children being born to Jacob. And that's why the chart that I just gave you, I want to use those in a minute to give you the overview. All right, now let's stop for a minute um, and think a little bit about this. What has happened here? Jacob has been out-deceived, hasn't he? By whom? By Uncle Laban. But Jacob accepts that to get what he really wants, which is Rachel, the wife that he really loves. But the text is also telling us now there are going to be four women involved in Jacob's life. Leah, the oldest, firstborn of Laban's family, her servant, and Rachel, whom he really loves, and her servant. You've got to keep all those women in mind. Second point of some application here to thinking about this. Is this going to be a good, healthy family relationship? No. Jacob's family is going to be the epitome of a dysfunctional family. And it's going to be be fascinating to see this start to unfold as we watch Jacob have all these children to all these different women for a variety of reasons. But the text is setting us up for this to understand Jacob has been out-deceived. And this deception that Laban has actually worked out in Jacob's life is going to be a lesson for him to learn, that is, Jacob to learn. We're going to see how he learns this lesson. And it's going to lead us up to chapter 32, where Jacob, as he's heading back to the promised land, is going to wrestle with God. So, I mean, it, I mean, in addition to having served the second years for Rachel, second seven these years. weren't or second seven years. These weren't wasted years because Laban, I mean, um, Jacob couldn't go back anyway. That's probably, right. and he gained enormous wealth. Like he will. Said, that's right. And probably matured, and God taught him some really important lessons. Well, I think that's one of the things when we're done with all this. What are the lessons that Jacob learns? But that's right. So, I mean, that's a good way to put it. These are not wasted. These are not 14 wasted years in his life. But this certainly isn't the way he would have designed his life by any stretch. But there's a lot going on in Jacob's character here that's just important. That we really, yeah, Daryl. We know that there's some precedence in having more than one wife. Yes. And that Abraham had Hagar. Um, Sarah's servant uh, but um, was there a lot of this is this that um, is it becoming more popular now at this time uh, period or what what's the it you mean having more than one wife is that to me oh yeah yeah well in terms of the ancient near eastern world at the time in which we are studying here this was very very common it was very common for um, a man to have multiple wives and multiple children to multiple wives but, and perhaps, at least that's how I think about it, but go back to Genesis 2. God's ideal is what? A monogamous, faithful, heterosexual relationship. This certainly illustrates what happens when you don't follow that. But, yeah, this is very, very common. Very, very common. And to an extent, it still is very common in the, ancient, in the Middle East today. Not so much in Israel, but in the Bedouin tribes of the Negev, as well as the Arab tribes. Muslim or non-Muslim, to have multiple wives. That is a very common thing to, still today to have. All right. 
Now, with that background, we're gonna, we want to we want to look at what happens to Jacob's character here. But before we can start making those conclusions, we have to look at how the family of Jacob comes about and it sees different wives. And so stage one, if you will, is verse 31 through the end of the chapter. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. That's a very strong word. I don't know if all of your translations have the word hated. I know. What does it have? Not loved. Not loved, okay. Okay. And obviously, who is it? Of, of whom are they speaking here? Jacob. Jacob doesn't love Leah. And the word hated is not so, and that's the, that's the difficult, ESV is what I'm reading from. They translate it hated. It's, it, it's the opposite. He loved Rachel. He loved Rachel, but he does not love Leah. But he was forced to take Leah to get Rachel, right? In order for him to get Rachel, he's got to take Leah. Right. So he doesn't love Leah, but God looks at this. And it says he opened her womb. Whose womb? Leah's womb. But Rachel was barren. He loves Rachel, but she's barren. He doesn't love Leah, but she can have children. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. So here is the firstborn of Jacob. Reuben's the firstborn. Now, by the way, that's going to become real. Can I go forward quite a few chapters? That's really important. Because when you look at how everything is divided up, Reuben does not get the double portion that the firstborn is supposed to get. Who gets it? Joseph does. And Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, but that's coming way into the future. So maybe I shouldn't have introduced that. I have a question. Uh, as I look at this, it seems like these are all, the descendants are all uh, male. Is it just that they don't mention the female descendants? You mean J- Jacob? What, well, uh, Rachel, has Benjamin, and Joseph. Yes. They, uh, all, all, of, all of Jacob's children are male except one. He will have one daughter. Her name is Dinah. So, I mean, what you can do, you can start, I, I don't want to get into that, but I'll get into it now. If you take this chart, the first one that I gave you is called the family um, uh, tree of Abraham. Now, why is the Old Testament taking such care in constructing for us the family tree? Because remember of the the covenant promise that God made to Abraham. That Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, the sand of the seashore. And you all the nations will be blessed. So it's helping us to understand that from Abraham and Sarah come Isaac, who marries Rebekah. And Isaac has two children, Esau and Jacob. But Jacob is the covenant son. And it is from Jacob that will come through these four women his 12 sons and one daughter, which then is what this chart is all about. So this is what we're going to be studying for the next couple of, well, it'll probably be the rest of this hour. But what I want you to do, and this is why I gave you this chart, because it gets really complicated. Leah, and then her servant, Zilpah, then 
Rachel's servant, Bilhah, and then Rachel. But notice, Rachel only has two children, Joseph and Benjamin. Leah has four children, including then Dinah, who is the daughter, and Zilpah, who is the servant of Leah, has two, and then Bilhah, who is the servant of Rachel, has two. You add all those up, you get 12. Is that confusing? What, what, is, what is important for us is to understand, this is why the text is doing this, with clear and intentional clarity, these are how the 12 sons of Jacob come about. They're not all from Rachel. And I noticed that Leah's lineage contains King David and Jesus. That's correct. That's correct. Because Leah, one of her children, will be Judah, and Jesus is the line of Judah through David. That's correct. That's right. Yes, Joe. Um, in uh, 29, verse uh, 31, it says Rachel is barren. Mm-hmm. Yet I think looking at your chart here, we see Rachel has some kids. Well, you're going to read a little bit later in chapter 30 and 31 that God opens her womb so that she can have children. And she will give birth to Benjamin and then give birth to Joseph. That's right. Or the order is Joseph and Benjamin, actually. All right. And Leah conceived? Yes, please. The covenant line then actually does not go through Rachel. It goes through Leah. In terms of the covenant promise, which will result in the coming of the Messiah, it goes through Leah. That's correct. Not through Rachel. (coughs) Which is really interesting because Leah was the one that he didn't love. So how do you explain that? The G word. Grace. God's grace. So were Saul and David sort of cousins of some sort? Um, Are they different generations? Well, um, well, Saul is from Benjamin. Right. Saul is, uh, okay, what's your question? Are they cousins? I I guess I'd never... Yes, well, they would be. Yes, that's right. Yes, they would be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, they're all, yeah, they're all related in terms of the extended family, the bloodline, but it is the covenant bloodline that Genesis is really interested in. And that covenant bloodline will be through Judah that will produce David, which will come through Jesus' son. So yeah, I mean that's uh, that's why this is ninety nine point nine percent of Christians who don't know much about the Bible couldn't do what you're now going to be able to do, which is really chart the covenant line. I have a brother-in-law that married a Jewish girl, mm. and uh, his comment to me during one of our conversations about spiritual things was he said there's no way that um, Jesus could be. Um, you know, who he claimed to be, which was uh, mm. the Messiah. Mm. Because look at all the, the people that he was born from. <laughs> it, it would be much cleaner than that. Yeah, yeah. Look who they are. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it just but, I mean, God's, God is so faithful and loves us so much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's the amazing grace of God because it's true that when you look at the genealogical tables in Matthew and Luke, which is where we find them in the New Testament, you have all these people that 
you know, like just, we'll, we won't talk about that in Genesis, but Rahab, yeah. who was a prostitute in Jericho, who was a Canaanite, but she's in the line of Jesus because she marries Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N, who is in that line. I mean, it is an amazing, it is amazing evidence of God's grace. In, in, in this whole weave storyline of this, I, I think maybe you had said this once, but that God's kind of MO is that he'll, he'll choose the lesser for his purposes rather than the greater. So Jacob being the younger, Leah being the less attractive or desirable, um, you know, Joseph being the, the youngest and most annoying to his brothers, yeah. and Israel in general. Yeah. Uh, um, as, as being not necessarily a, you know, some sort of world power when he chose yeah. Abraham. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, there's one of the major themes throughout the scriptures is that God chooses the humble, God chooses the lowly, God chooses the ones you would not necessarily expect him to choose. And I, anyway, Daryl's friend or his um, uh, brother-in-law who comes from, is, that is a very, very difficult thing for the Jewish people to really understand and accept. And yet the, the clear genealogies of, in Matthew and in Luke are the layout why Jesus Christ has the right to claim the throne of David. The genealogical tables show that. But in those genealogical tables, you have all the evidence that you would naturally have of the fallen, broken nature of humanity. You have people that you would, you know, you would expect that if God is going to send his Messiah, he would send him through some great powerful royal line. Well, he did send him through a powerful royal line, the line of David, that has a lot of sinners in it because he died for sinners. And it's just, it's an incredible example of God's grace. But how, whoever initially started this, it is not Rachel that will give birth to the, the son who will lead to Jesus. It's Leah. The one whom Jacob did not love, compared to Rachel. But the Lord opened the womb. That's correct. That's correct. Well, it was by grace. Yeah, it's by so, grace. I mean, there's no other explanation of why Leah does that than God's grace. That's right. She certainly didn't merit it. And so she goes on then in verse 32, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So Leah is saying, oh, I've given him this firstborn son. Reuben, now he'll love me. Does he? Verse 33, she again conceived and bore a son, said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and he is called Simeon, the second son. Simeon is a wonderful Hebrew title. Again, verse 34, she conceived and bore a son. Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name is called Levi. And she bore again, in verse 35, bore a son. This time I will praise the Lord. She called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing, at least for now. So you have four, and all four of those sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, are going to play really critical roles in history of Israel. But especially Judah, because that is the royal line will come through Judah. All right, now. You have four sons born. Following the chart, you got it all nailed down, right? Okay, let's move on. When Rachel saw, I'm in chapter 30 now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. 
Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? No, I mean, there's a real tender, compassionate response of her husband, isn't it? You just see the empathy and compassion he feels for Rachel, who he's supposed to love. It's not my fault you can't have kids. That's kind of what he's saying. Yeah, this is a real healthy, spiritually alive family, isn't it? Verse 3, stage 2 of Jacob's family. It's Bilhah. Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go to her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. She gave him her servant. Bilhah is his wife. And Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore son of Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged me, has heard my voice, and give me a son. There she called his name Dan. So now he has five sons. This is Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and prevailed. She called his name Naphtali. And Naphtali means the one who wrestles with God. So now Jacob has six sons. And yet Rachel hasn't conceived any. Bella's kind of a surrogate mother then? Is that what it boils down to there? I mean, she, she well, bears the yeah, child in a, in a way, in a way, because Rachel's looking at it that way. That yeah. these are really my sons, but you're the one who's carrying them for me. But in, in reality, you know, she is the mother. Well, not. Was that customary? I mean, well, remember we saw that with uh, Sarah, when yeah. Sarah was not able, she's an older woman, she's still not able to conceive, she gave to, to Abraham Hagar. Yeah. But as it was with with uh, with uh, Abraham, here it is with Jacob. Uh, you know, should he have done this? The Bible is not making a conclusion at this point. Other than this is how Jacob's children are being born. Then verse 9, we have the third stage. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. She called his name Gad. (coughs) Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. So now again, if you're looking at your chart, however you're you're putting this together, you now have Zilpah giving two additional children. And still, Rachel has not conceived. Now, verse 14 is stage four, and it's bizarre. It's a very bizarre story, a very bizarre part of the narrative. Do you know what an aphrodisiac is? Do you know what that means? Do you ever hear that word? An aphrodisiac, it's like a plant, or it could be a a medicine, whatever, that's going to help you become fertile. Well, in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Now, if you do a lot of study on this and really take the time, mandrakes, it's an odd thing, but it was a plant, but it was an aphrodisiac. This is superstition. This is a superstitious practice. So Reuben, who's the firstborn, who's who's his mother? Leah. Leah. And Leah could not have any children. Remember, she had given the four kids, now she's not going to bear any more children. 
So he brings these mandrakes to Leah. Mom, I found these when I was out with the wheat fields. Here, I'm going to give them to you, Mom. And Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. So now Rachel hears that Reuben had given Leah these mandrakes. I want them. Why? Because she can't have any children. This is superstitious. This is weird. It's strange. But she said to her, verse 15, it is a small matter that you've taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went to meet him and said, you must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. Do you understand what's going on here? Leah traded with Rachel for Jacob. These mandrakes. This is, this is really bizarre. So he lay with that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore John, Jacob a fifth son. God has given me the wages that I have my servant to my husband, so she called his name Ishakar. Can you back up a little bit? I'm, uh, I got lost. Um, <clears throat> Reuben found the mandrake. That's right. And Leah, Leah is his mom. Rachel asked for some of them. That's right. And Leah responded, isn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? And then very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. She's talking about Jacob. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's Give me the mandrakes and you can sleep with Jacob tonight. Okay, I got it. And so the exchange occurs. Rachel gets the mandrakes, Leah gets Jacob for tonight. And the result is Ishakar. <laughs> then verse 19, Leah conceived again and bore Jacob six sons. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called him Zebulun. And then we find out one other piece of information, verse, 30, uh, verse 21. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. That is going to be very important for chapter 34. That's going to be very important for what's going to happen in chapter 34. It's the only daughter that's born to Jacob, Dinah. Twelve sons, one daughter. We'll find out why Dinah is important when we get to chapter 34 at the rate we're going in 2021. Okay. Verse 22, so now we've had four stages. Now, finally, the Lord remembers Rachel, and she will become pregnant. That's verse 22. God listened to her, opened her womb. She conceived, bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. And then she prayed, may the Lord add to me another son. And that is what we'll see coming up in the next chapter. The final child that's born is going to be Benjamin, but that's coming up a little bit later. All right, now, before we look at the next part of this narrative, which is we go back to the negotiations and discussions with Laban, what are, what are some conclusions you think we should draw from this narrative? What it's done, and that's what that's why I gave you this chart, simply help you to be able to sort through all of these different women and all these different sons that are born. 
But you can see Leah, of all the four, Leah's the one that's blessed the most, if you count the blessing of children. Plus her servant, you have an additional two, and then you have the two of, uh, from Rachel's servant, and then we didn't quite get the Benjamin yet, that's coming up, but uh, now Rachel is able to give birth. What are some observations you would make about this you study? Make a novel out of it. Leah is constantly trying to get Jacob's love yes. one way or another. Yes. And uh, after four children, um, uh, I don't quite understand why Rachel was said, well, you can sleep with my husband now uh, because you've given me the mandrake. That's a matter of negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the story. And okay. so so she has two more sons. Yeah, total six sons. And we don't sons. know really whether she ever achieved her goal of, of getting Jacob's love or not. Now that's, that's, well, we probably can reach a tentative conclusion. She did not. She never did. She never really earned Jacob's favor. <laughs> yeah. They should make a movie of this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere along the line, eight Hollywood did, although I'm not familiar with it. Okay, that's true. That's really good. So you have one observation. Leah is trying to use her fertility to earn the love of Jacob. That's what she keeps saying. There's not any evidence that she's able to do that. What else could, what other observation can you make about this section? I know, I, I wanted to take time going through this. This is usually not studied very thoroughly. This is how Jacob's family comes about. What other observation do you want to make? <clears throat> now, you obviously didn't hear that question, or... Well. An awful lot of kids. Yeah, an awful lot of kids. Is it? How would you? How do you look at Jacob and all this? What's your What's your opinion of Jacob? What's your conclusion about Jacob and all of this? He's a real stud. He's a real stud. <laughs> you know, I've I've taught this a lot of different ways. Nobody's ever said it that way, John. But that's so true. Well. <laughs> Well, it's I, I, it's interesting though yeah. that eleven and twelve, Joseph and Benjamin. I mean, they're they're all the ways down the line. Yes. I don't know whether that makes any difference. Well, Joseph was the youngest and picked on by the others. I yeah. say we yeah. remember and that. And then Benjamin will be born yeah. a bit yeah. later. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. he's the last. That's so, true. Anyway, I don't. Know, but any any thoughts or conclusions or observations about Jacob and all this? Well, I think his his uh, his nickname is probably Pinball. He's bouncing around all over the place here. That's another one of these interesting pinball, okay? I've never heard. <laughs> How do you mean that? Well, he, he's, the, 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 can't this guy figure anything out for himself? I mean, he, he just goes wherever the women tell him to go. Yeah. You get, a word that I have often used in studying this passage is, Jacob's a very passive person. In yeah. yeah. He's very passive. He's not exercising any kind of significant leadership as the either spiritual or patriarchal leader of his family. He's just whatever his whatever his wives and servants want, he does it. But hasn't he always been? I mean, even back with he was the with Rebecca, he was the his son mother, of the tent, right? Yeah. He went out hunting and Okay. Well, yeah, and and certainly he's his mother's boy. That was very clear with the, with the relationship with Rebecca. 
Why do you think he is so passive? Because, I mean, clearly that's, you know, I mean, passive in the sense that, I mean, he's very active because he has all these children, but I mean, passive in the sense that whatever his different wives, he, he just goes ahead and does it. Well, before he came to Aaron, he was uh, kind of an aggressive person. Wasn't he? I mean, trying to get the birthright. Very manipulative, very, very controlling. Yeah, yeah. And so here he comes, and we talked about the oath that he gave. Maybe he felt whatever God willed was going to be. I mean, if through the wives, I, I don't know. Okay, that's another. But and he was passing. I mean, seems to be at this point. But. The only time that he really had relations with the servants of his two wives is at the wives' suggestion. And so even his, <laughs> even his sex life mm. is, uh, is, is, is different. Now, and I didn't see this until we were just looking at it, but um, you know, Leah, he, he, Leah didn't get a lot of his time. That was going to Rachel, because that probably his preference. I would think that's people. true. Yes, that's good. And so when she said this about, you know, give me a child or yeah. I'll die. I'll die. Yeah. And and he's and he's very strong on that. He said, you know, he knows how much semen he's given her. Yeah. And uh, because she is his his choice. Mm. Preferred one. So it's not his fault. This is this yeah. is a God. Don't blame me, blame God. He's still yeah. yeah. Which uh, Andrew. I was going to say, he seems to have a little bit of a, an, an entitlement issue, which I think can become kind of a passive thing. Like, give this give this to to me. I, I, you know, I mean, whether it was, you know, tricking Esau out of his birthright or, hmm. you know, going to Laban and said, give me your daughter. I mean, yeah, he worked seven years, but at the end of that seven years, I mean, he basically said, okay, give me your daughter. I want to have sex with her. Like, which... You know, as as the, the the man with the dowry, I'm sure you wouldn't appreciate so much if somebody mm. came to you that way. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any sense of responsibility in general that he has, other than I, I'll get I, I I I want what I want and I want it given to me, and, and however I can manipulate that to happen, mm. yeah. um, I'll yeah. do it. Do, would you would you reach the conclusion after? Studying this now, the next chapter and, and is going to be very important in, in what happens to Jacob's character. But would you assign the label strong spiritual leader to Jacob? No. It would be hard to say strong spiritual leader of his family. <sighs> Not yet. Unless, unless he's trying to go one up on God. How do you mean that? I Well, he's he's he's... Well, you you do get you do get this this it's almost confusion, but certainly tension in the character of Jacob. He's a manipulator, he's a conniver. But in this situation, he seems to be very passive, and just whatever his wives or his women, and his, he just does whatever they want him to do. His goal is to have children. But it's this issue with Rachel. He loves her. She's beautiful. 
she is complaining to him, as I think Daryl mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Don't blame me, Rachel. God's the one who closed your, your, your womb. And so instead of, instead of what I think we should see, Jacob is a spiritual leader of his home, praying and caring, and God, what do you want? God, how are you directing? He's just, he's going through all the motions. Whatever happens, I'm fine with it. As many kids as I can get, I'm fine with that. You just, you don't see the strong, spiritual, nurturing leader that you want to see. You see it in Abraham, despite his foibles. You see it in Abraham. You don't really see it in Isaac. And you certainly don't see it in Jacob. He's not, God's not done with him yet. Right? God is not done with him. That's exactly right. That's what chapter 32 is going to be all about. So it's it, the, 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 the thing for me, as we're, we're almost out of time here today, but the thing with me is we've got Jacob's family, with the exception of Benjamin. He's not born yet. But we have Jacob's family now born. All the sons are born. Dinah is born his only daughter. But now we go back to Laban. We go back to settling this situation with Laban. And uh, the final bout, if you will, between Laban and Jacob. Uh, I don't think we'll get this finished, but let's, get, let's start with this. And we'll finish it probably next, next week. Verse 25, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away, that I might go to my home, home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. How long has Jacob been serving Laban? Well, at least 14 years. Okay, it's, it's over 14 years, that's correct. So it's over 14 years. And he is saying, I have my family, I have my children. I want to go back home. Send me with your blessing. Verse 27. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination. I don't know if all of your translations have translated it that way. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Now, the word divination. Is that in your translations? Yes. Okay, everybody have divination? What What does that word mean? What's divination? Uh, a little voice told me. <laughs> Something like that. Divine. It's, um, it's, it's deeper than that. Is, is, is divination a positive word or a negative word in the Old Testament? It's a positive. positive. It's a negative word. It is? It's a negative word. Mm-hmm. It's the occult. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the... It's the evil occultish practices which Israel is going to be forbidden to practice. So this isn't a positive statement, but it's saying Laban by divination. What does that mean? We don't know. We don't know what that means. We don't know the content of that. How did he, but that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Because of Jacob, the covenant son, God has blessed Laban. So Laban says, name your wages, and I'll give it. I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't know. I have no authority, but I just, I just think that divination could be more positive. The divine inter- intervention, uh, sort of. Uh, the Lord has blessed me because of you. 
learned by divination. Now, you probably know that's probably a Jewish word somewhere, and that's the way it's interpreted. So you say it's negative. Woody, it is in the Old Testament that that word divination is never a positive word. It's um, occult practices, omens, supernatural divination type thing. You know, um, it can be astrology, it can be cutting an animal apart and looking at their liver and pancreas. And it's all kinds of very strange ways in which in the ancient world they're trying to know the future, trying to know what's going on. But then he goes right on and says, the Lord has blessed me because of you. That's right. So it's just dumb luck that he's saying, I know this because of divination. <clears throat> I've been blessed, but I've been blessed for by an observation through a negative, through not so good things. We must infer from this that Laban is a regular practicing, a regular practicer of divination methods. See what I'm saying? In other words, he, he did not come to this conclusion by talking and praying to the Lord. It's through his ongoing practice, which apparently this was the norm for Laban, of these occultist divination practices. I've concluded okay. that the Lord has blessed me okay. because of you. Has he indeed been blessed? Sure. Okay. Sure. For the wrong reason. But, yeah, I mean, how he gets to that conclusion, the, the word divination is not a positive word in the Old Testament. So it's saying about the normal practices of Laban were practices of divination. And that's not a positive statement about Laban. So Jacob said, you yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and has increased abundantly. The Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when shall I provide you my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, verse 31, shall not give me anything if you do, if you do this for me, for I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spot and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So do you understand what Jacob is saying? I'm going to go through all your flocks, and I'm going to pick out the speckled, the spotted, the black, and the, among the sheep, and the speckled and spotted among the goats, and they'll be my wages. His last deception. Yes. Come back next week and find out how this works out. <laughs> Because Laban is going to do something that is just as deceptive. But we'll find out what that is for next week. He's a real rascal. Uh, yeah, very. I read that and I didn't quite understand the, about the bushes and yeah. stuff. Yeah. In, in, in Laban's use of the divination, yes. could that be a satanic influence of Satan influencing Laban giving him accurate information but through a you know, I think we could probably conclude that. I think we could probably conclude that because that word divination is never a positive word in the uh, in, in the Old Testament. All right. So we'll finish that next week and get into the 
into the next chapter and then chapter 32. We're almost done with Jacob. Okay, I'm going to pray here. Heavenly Father, this has been a difficult narrative to go through and study because it's all of these different women and all these different children that are born. But this is an important part of your word because it shows us and explains to us how the 12 sons of Jacob come about. But it also helps us to understand that what you are doing in Jacob's life is you are helping him to see the need he has for you. And we're going to see that next week as we get into chapter 31 and 32. He's being out-connived and out-manipulated by Laban, his uncle. But also, he is very passive in how he deals with his wives. He is not a strong spiritual leader of his home. He is not a spiritual mentor. He is allowing events just to occur. And in spite of all of that, you still bless him, which is another example of your grace. We're going to talk about more of that next week. So, Lord... Uh, There are a lot of guys that aren't here, and we just pray your blessing and watch over them. For the guys that are here today, give them a special blessing. Watch over them as they go their separate ways to their work and other places of responsibility. And Lord, we just especially ask you to bless Woody this weekend as he and his family celebrate his 80th birthday. What a testament of your blessing in his life and the way you have used him and, and, and I know have been growing him spiritually in these last couple of years as I've gotten to know him a little bit better through this study. May it be a rich, rich weekend with his family as they honor and celebrate 80 years of life. May he continue to be a testament, uh, a testimony to his family of your grace in his life, of your mercy in his life, and his love for you and his desire to walk with you in loving obedience. We bless him this weekend in a real special way as we honor and just think about him and recognize the way in which you have blessed him these 80 years of life. Go our separate ways now. Bless us. Help us to represent you well in thought and deed in Christ's name. Amen.